Okay, this is the first episode of Pink Noise in 2021. The year 2020 is behind us, but still looming very large in the rear view and possibly gaining on us in the past couple days. I don't think of Pink Noise as being a particularly topical show or necessarily relying on current events to stay relevant and serve anybody's desire to keep up with a constant news cycle. But I hope that Pink Noise as a podcast is something that people might come back and listen to in the future. Um, I hope that these interviews uh, can shed light on talented artists at a time that they're creating great work and I know that people I've interviewed will go on to do lots of great work and so I'm I'm hopeful that future listeners might be checking out this podcast because they're fans of Post 65 but for those who are listening around the time of the release of this episode it's impossible to ignore the events of Yesterday, January 6th, I'm recording this on January 7th, and my conversation with Hisham happened uh, in late December of 2020. So time is a little bit fluid here, but um, as I release this episode into the world, it's in the context in which uh, the ongoing joke of a coup has gone from a joke to a reality, and it's not over yet and it's very scary and frustrating and you know we saw people storming the United States Capitol building yesterday and as of now we're not seeing those people facing very many consequences so it's hard for me to ignore that in this intro if you're listening years down the road and everything worked out fine then I'm so happy and I'm glad that you're tuning in from the future But if you're listening um, in early 2021, uh, just know that it's valid to feel completely exhausted and frustrated and enraged by what we are seeing. And I just hope that uh, the interview that follows in this episode helps provide some perspective. Um, there have been moments in the past year or so since the news cycle that we're all, I kind of assume we're all glued to, that occasionally is punctuated by um, some personal tragedies that really hit closer to home and it has a way of putting things in perspective. And I don't want this podcast to be morose, but... Um, I'm trying to remind myself as I speak that there are moments where life really is put into perspective and that's something that I think having spoken to Hisham it helps me keep things in perspective and um, what we all I think can do is keep perspective uh, and take care of ourselves while we stay ready and energized for what we need to do 
to make things better uh, in our own lives and in our surrounding communities and hopefully through the concentrated micro efforts of good people things will get better on a larger scale so here's Hisham and Kim of Post 65 Where did you where did you grow up? In Rabat, Morocco. Beautiful coastal town uh, at the center of the beautiful country of Morocco and I don't I'll just say this not in a condescending way. It's just the in North Africa, the northern tip um, of Africa and it's to this day I still refer to it as back home even though I've been living in the US like a little over 10 years and it is uh, one of the most beautiful and heartbreaking places in the world and you know, in the same way that I have tremendous allegiance to um, to where I live now, I I still have just undying loyalty for the land and for the place. And um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a massively just just an incredibly beautiful place. Um, yeah, uh, and I grew up in Rabat, so I grew up not far from the water. Um, palm trees everywhere, and you know, just beautiful weather, just year round, and yeah, yeah. Um, Hisham, you and I worked together on what I think could fairly be described as the uh, extremely boring aspects of pursuing music, um, like kind of release planning and tour planning and like details like that. Um, but what I remember of the time, uh, which I think was in 2017, um, it was, uh, it was like early in the Trump administration and, uh, you know, help me fill in the details if you don't mind. Um, but I think what was happening was there was your father was ill. I, I think he was ill, but still living at the time. Yeah. And, and you were, um, making plans to go and see him, but you at the time you didn't know if you went to go visit him in Morocco, like whether you'd be able to actually get back into the country if you made that trip. And so I was hoping, um, if you don't mind, maybe taking a moment here to kind of walk us through that time of your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good. First of all, good memory. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, um, you know, there was. I had set up, you know, I, I had to go back. I mean, like that was, um, it, it was, it was very clear that, you know, there was, there was an ending, you know, like that, 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 you know, my father was towards the end of his life. And, um, when my mother had called and told me that it was time to maybe go home and, and, you know, to, to see about this, <laughs> you know, to, to properly, um, say goodbye you know, since, since this was something, you know, there was, it was a deterioration. So, so we could see it happening. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. There was uncertainty about returning because of the kinds of, because of the travel bans and Morocco was never on any list as far as I could tell. But whenever there is something that is this insidious at the le- legislative level or any time there is something that it, that is this uh egregious and something that is this kind of like 
um, cruel administratively. Um, it, it is well documented that that folks will take some liberties about who they, you know, how they use, how they wield that power. And uh, to anyone, to anyone from my neck of the woods, or even uh, farther along, like folks know that that you know the folks who welcome you physically into this country are often not welcoming you at all and are are sometimes very excited not to let you in and and you know um so so that was a part of how nervous and how stressed out I was about that and yeah I mean of course that ended up playing out in a different way because I was able to go home and um I was able you know unlike most folks who lose a parent, I was able to have like a, a final conversation with my father. Um, and he was still alive when I left and I came back and then he died like 24 hours after my arrival. And I remember the decision about going back to attend the funeral was one that I, I couldn't go back because, um, logistically you literally like you, that is not something that is, that is suggested for you to make multiple trips in that short of a time span. Um, and things were so incendiary, um, around uh, at all the borders that like it would have been, it would have been too, too great a risk. So I missed, you know, I missed, I missed my father's funeral because of that. Um, and you know, it was the aftermath of that was just this grief and suspension, I think, which is the best way to describe it. Just this inability to fully get into it. You know, and I sublimated a lot of that grief into um, the song. You know, there was massive misunderstanding about loss and about like what it means not to have this person in your life and being so far away. And you know, I I didn't get to really physically grieve um, in any way until really the release maybe and seeing all these folks share it online and so many people reaching out and that was the closest thing I think I ever got to a funeral or a vigil or, you know, just a real kind of like recognition that, oh, there was a loss, you know, in your life. And, uh, folks wanting, folks wanting to talk to me about that and excited to talk to me about that. Um, and yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it took a while, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what that felt like, but definitely this grief, that just, I think, was was living, uh, th that I was living with very closely, just because it was so unprocessed and with the in inability to process it, you know, for so long. Um, yeah, it was very internal. Mm. Mm, yeah. Can I ask um, any recollections that you have of this, of, you know, the conversation that you had with your father? Was it, did it turn out to be like a profound experience or... I have I haven't um I haven't gone through such an experience so um I want to be delicate about the way I ask it but something that something that I that does occur to me is that sometimes with families we sometimes hope for there to be profound and deep connections and I guess there's a lot of expectation that could lead into a moment like that and I wonder if it met your expectations at all or if it was wildly different Well um you know I you know as a disclaimer I was 24 um which is a silly time to lose a parent. <laughs> uh, just too young, I think. 
you know, both my parents didn't lose their parents in, until they were in their 40s and 50s. And so, you know, I was completely ill-equipped and even they didn't deal with their grief the right way. But I think, no, well, my father was nonverbal at this point. He was up. He couldn't talk. And so there was a lot of, um, I talked to him. You know, and I was like, hey, listen, I know this. I'm going to leave now. This was right before I went to the airport. And I just said something like, I'm going to leave now. And I don't think I'm going to see you again. And, you know, I love you. And I'm going to miss you. And I don't know if he was lucid or not. I think he looked at me in the eye, which wasn't, which didn't happen for most of the trip that I was there. But it was just. I remember holding his hand and I think he didn't understand. I mean, like there was just a problem with cognition, you know, for him at this point. But I remember, you know, he did acknowledge my presence and that was, that was the best we could do. Um, and there was nothing, there was, or I shouldn't say that, but there was not much that was profound as much as I wanted to say that like, um, and just a final nod of recognition which is something that my father and I, I think, always had when I was growing up, is that, like, he, uh, when he was healthier, I think he understood that there were, that I inherited a lot of things from him, uh, for better and for worse, and I think we always had that recognition in each other, that, like, we understand each other, even if we didn't talk about it much, and I think there was, I think, a final moment of recognition where, you know, um, I was able to, you know, just say that, I'm here and I see you and this is it for us. And it didn't, yeah, I mean, like an, about a day later, he, he passed away. He, yeah. I don't know if that was a, if that, if that's a profound, um, moment, um, it's possible that I haven't fully processed it, but I do feel like fairly lucky in the way that like we were able to have that conversation though. It was, kind of muddied by by this disease by alzheimer's and the late later stages of alzheimer's and you know um yeah yeah i like to think i like to think that there was a moment of clarity and a moment where you know we were able to like understand each other one last time outside of words which for some for two people who are very very obsessed with words i think we did a lot of communication outside of them um and, and I think that was maybe our final moment and our, our last time to do that. And, and then he felt there, he felt lucid for, for like the brief moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Alzheimer's affects my family as well. Um, my grandfather passed away from Alzheimer's at, uh, he was 84, but his son and my uncle, um, developed it much earlier and I was probably about 24 when he died and he was, uh, only 60. Um, and, and it's difficult to have a conversation with, you know, someone who's really succumbing to the disease and, you know, it's painful to not be recognized by that person that you love so much. And, yeah. um, so I didn't, I didn't realize that was the disease and, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, it was very funny because, um, he, um, the, I, I remember very well, uh, you know, like when, when I was there f for 
because the 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 Alzheimer's actually was very extended. Like it, I started seeing symptoms of it when I was in high school. So it must have been about like sixty something. And I know, and I know that's super young. And I remember being like, wait, wait, what? This can't what? This can't be. Um, but I think a few years into college, whenever I'd go back home, it went from he would remember me, and then like at the next visit, it was like. Where was that sweet young boy with the curls who used to live here? Uh, which is something that he would say often. And I think I would I would often be like, oh, man, who knows? Sometimes I'd be like, man, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and then and then like he would just say the nicest things and I would just be like, yeah, yeah, sounds like a good guy. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I mean yeah yeah something something about it's it's surreal something about fading fading and 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 um and someone in someone's memory uh, but of course you know like intersected maybe with living in another place while all of that is happening and i think my father being the person who in our family remembered things the most you know and he started forgetting things and i think maybe when he died there was a massive rupture with who carried me as a person and who remembered me and who carried me in their minds and my father i think knew me and remembered so much about me growing up and remembered so much about details in the way that i now remember details right um and i think when he started forgetting i think i stopped kind of seeing myself in in that family and i kind of stopped seeing myself in that narrative and you know when he died i mean there was there was nothing tying me nothing as much tying me to my home and and then you know and so as much as the grief was in suspense so was I in a way, and so was my identity in so many ways. And so, yeah, Alzheimer's is very strange, especially when it happens to a person who I think is carrying you in that, in that, in that way. Someone, you know, one of the few people who remembers your childhood or, or is willing to acknowledge it the way that it was or, um, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think all of that, a lot of that, um, appears in the song. A lot of that is part of is part of the song. I think, forgetting and remembering, um, and uh, how do you carry someone after uh, after after they die, after they pass away? Um, yeah, which my my solution to that has just been remembering more and more and trying to hold on to memories as much as uh, as much as I can. You know, and my my friends. You know, and, and Kim have, have, like, since he's died, have heard more and more stories about my father as, as I remember them. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think that, like, now I'm making more and more of a point of talking about him. And the song creates a record, at, like, of his experience and, or of him, or, or of his, my experience of him. Uh, and yeah, I mean, and there's a picture of him in the world and, and, you know, uh, and I like that. And I think that was all intentional. Just having, just having a clear and tangible artifact that, that he was here, 
you know, and in a, in a certain way, if, if he was here, that also means that I too am here, like tangibly. I'm holding it together. Three settings at the table now. I wish I looked like someone else, but I'm holding it together. I'll come back in the springtime. Can you just keep your voice down? I'll come back in the springtime when all the windows open. Even my mom likes my songs now. Stay by the phone forever I'll be gone before the summer The grief in the song is very similar to what we've been sort of grieving about all year, losses of you know, institutions in your life, be it people or, you know, just a way of living. Um, And I think the song, writing it from my perspective as somebody who saw Hisham go through this enormous loss, it felt like I was trying to carry him through the grieving process while waves of anger and sadness and loneliness and emptiness were crashing down on him, just sort of trying to help buoy him into this new phase of his life where he's living without a parent. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what our community has been doing with each other in the same way in the pandemic is everyone's trying to just sort of like check in and keep everyone afloat. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good. And then it's bad. And sometimes you feel like maybe you're doing okay. And there's like a small flash of good. And then there's like a, enormous storm of horrible it's been like that for the entire year of 2020 but you you're moving forward and you can't not and so you just have to push and you have to keep going and I think that a lot of people maybe felt that and that's the that's all you could ever ask for we just want everyone to know that they're not alone and what they're feeling because we're feeling it too you know and the first words of the song, I think, are they're really beautiful. And and the first words are, I'm holding it together. And I think it's such a perfect phrase for, of course, the times that we're all in. And, um, and you both mentioned the word grief. That is a, a word I've been thinking about lately. And that's just just to say I'm holding it together is such a powerful, I think, lyrical device because it suggests that you're doing this balancing act that like has a sort of time limit on it and it's kind of suggests that there's there will come a time that I'm not going to be able to hold it together um I was listening to it last night um with Christina and I was like I hope I don't cry when I talk to Sean on the interview (laughs) (laughs) because it's really um it's a it's that there's something unique about that song that I think is unusual which is that it it is catchy and it's it like the guitar riff and kind of the the rhythm of it and the way it unfolds really sticks with me and yet it's uh catchy and kind of devastating um 
Uh, so I think that's unusual and, and very well done on your part, both of you. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much. That's uh, that's like the greatest compliment. And I, I don't mean that as like a sadist, but so many people said that the song made them cry. And we don't want everyone to be sad, but that, I mean, it makes me cry. You know, it makes Hisham cry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's, yeah. There's so much there. And it's, I think when we were living in Charlottesville, this is actually pretty funny. A lot of people considered us to be just like too sad. But I was like, don't you feel this too? Like, don't you feel alone sometimes? Like, aren't you grieving often? Like, don't people just grieve small things and big things like this? And I think because Hisham was so vulnerable and so honest and direct with this song in particular, there was a a chance to connect, even though a lot of people haven't lost a parent. There's still something in this content and in the feelings that he, you know, created through his lyrics that uh, just are, I don't know, they extend out in maybe a bigger way than anything else we've made before, which is, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Well, thanks, y'all. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I mean, to, to be, to be honest with that, it's funny you mentioned the, the first line, Jeff, um, because I'm holding it together. I remember that the guitar riff and that lyric came the same evening. Actually, it might've been, um, you know, when I used to work in Charlottesville, I'm sure you remember, uh, my Wednesdays used to be my long days and when we used to see each other in the morning, I would have, it would be like a meeting with you guys and then it would be like therapy and then work and then teaching. And so my days would start at whenever, as early as we would meet. Um, and, you know, after the Nutella waffle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which I heard about, by the way. I think it was a famous story. I, it's just, it's just, it was one of my favorite habits from that year. And it was just, it was great to share that with you, Jeff. Uh, but as an aside... <laughs> As an aside, um, but you know, it was, it was actually on a Wednesday and, um, in January. And after that day, I was exhausted. Um, I just went home, started writing some music and I came up with that, just one of the guitar parts and played it and looped it maybe. And, you know, then went to my vocal mic and, or maybe not even just, just was trying to sing something. And the first thing that came out was like, I'm holding it together at a time where maybe, that wasn't necessarily true for me, you know, and, uh, at that point, yeah. And I think something about something, something about that was just, I felt this kind of like claustrophobic thing where I was looking at myself and being like, Oh, that, that is, we are flirting with a different kind of honesty here. <laughs> uh, and I kind of went from there. Um, that like in, in certain, in certain ways I was holding it, I was holding it together and in other ways, completely not, you know? And I think the song with the help of everyone in the band, with the help of Kim, um, the song kind of like embodies and enacts that particular, those multitudes of states, um, that we can, that we can go in when we're grieving and, you know, kind of referencing what, what Kim was saying at the beginning of our talk, which is that, you know, there are days that are okay in this time and there are 
days that are not. And uh, yeah, we, we tried, we tried to enact that. We tried to embody that in the composition as much as, you know, I, I tried to embody that in, in the lyrics. Um, yeah. Um, so if I may, Hasham, you mentioned, uh, growing up and your family, and I was curious if you would just say a little bit about your growing up and where that happened. And if you have, I don't know, siblings or what the family dynamics are like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think you're charging me enough for that, but, um, (laughs) yes. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have one older brother. Um, and he's 31. I have one older brother and my mom, um, who are both still alive. And I think, you know, this song actually is as much a reference to my father as to a certain extent. It is a reference to my brother in in another way. You know, the men in my family are, and have always been historically in peril, um, you know, um, my brother is ill. My brother has, has multiple sclerosis. And so uh, towards the end of my father's life, we've, I've also witnessed my brother losing his, his, his abilities, his, you know, his cognitive abilities and his um, motor functions. And, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, grieving for my, uh, grieving f- grieving for that as well, whatever that is, you know, grieving for the versions of having, or just having an older brother, the way that I had an older brother when I was a child, um, someone who can protect you and, and someone, and he was an abnormally dignified kid, which was very sweet, you know, uh, insisted that I, that I finished my readings and did my homework and that sort of thing. So he was a good big brother when I was growing up and, um, yeah. And then this illness and, you know, mental health stuff kicking in towards later twenties, early thirties. And, you know, and so, so this song, I think that is this, I am afraid of being like a man in peril as well you know, and I'm afraid of falling apart and I'm afraid of forgetting at the most, at the most basic level. Um, and, and, you know, this song is, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, I think it discusses like weird, weird legacies about falling apart and, you know, and, um, being, being, being a man in peril, not trying not to be one, trying to avoid that, you know, in so many ways um yeah It worked. 
Kim's oh, you're, back. you're sideways now. That's fun. Oh, whoops. Okay. <laughs> Let me see what I can do about it. Oh, that. no, you can leave it. <laughs> Just makes it a little spicy. Oh, yeah. There, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay. I need to say that I do not profit from this podcast, and I definitely don't charge my guests to be on <laughs> Pink Noise. <laughs> but I am back with my guests. Hisham Ben Hallam and Kim McMasters of Post 65. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, this is true. We corroborate everything. <laughs> I like, I'm fond of like telling people that I have an investigative journalism podcast and that like <laughs> my guests should expect some pretty tough questions. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, no, I appreciate that. No one, uh, you, you know, I think, I think. Uh, there's uh, i appreciate that i really do i mean um, you know kim and i talk about this i think fairly often i think there's there's um there's always maybe uh, in my experience there's always uh like a, a tremendous amount of silence around um the experience of immigration and so uh you know and i think from the folks who i've spoken with who share a similar experience to mine like we want to talk about home most of us do you know and uh so i i do appreciate it i do appreciate the questions uh though they may be tough <laughs> well and i really liked what you said um about the way that the like political situation affected your you know your family's basically you know your family's tragedy and i think that uh i just wanted to underline for anyone who's on the fence that you know immigration policy affects people and i think like you said too often it's it's thought of as something that's i don't know like people talk about immigrants as if they're a monolith and and not people and you know it's not fair and there's real people's lives at stake and so i'm, I'm glad that we could explore that yeah yeah well i think you know that this is this is um sadly enough, characteristically, an extremely anti-immigrant moment that we live in. And we have been living in it for, for such a long time. And so I think, I think that, that, you know, immigration law, um, does affect so many folks here. And, you know, there is, there, and there is massive silences, there's massive silence around how it does that and how many people, you know, find themselves in very similar situations to mine, if not worse. And, you know, um, yeah, no, it is. It is not. It is not. It is not far away um, at all. You know, um, and, and comfort is a powerful sedative in that way. And if you don't have to think about it, then you know, it's 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 a privilege in a way. And um, yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not far away at all. Um, well, I am really grateful to you for opening up about. The song and for taking the time to talk about it of course yeah that was fun the the mm. um i always always willing to uh, talk about songs forever i think <laughs> yeah mm. yeah um i was wondering as a like kind of final question hasham whether you might be able to recommend um something that i could do with a little bit of vodka that i have in my cabinet i've I noticed <laughs> that you seem to be you seem to be doing a lot with mixology these days. It is. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Um, 
let's see. Do you just have vodka? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, do you have... Oh, man. Do you have any bitters? I have some grapefruit bitters. Oh, perfect. Okay, excellent. Okay, here's what you do. You're going to put, like, at this point... You don't have any dry vermouth at home. No. Okay, that's okay. Uh, this is good. <laughs> so what you want to do is you are going to take, like, an ounce and a half to, like, two ounces of vodka. Just put, like, maybe... Do you know what brand of grapefruit bitters it is? Is it Fee Brothers? Uh, I, it's probably the most common one, but I, I can't confirm if it's that one. It, I, I would say it, it might be, because I think those ones are the easiest to find. Uh, and just put, like, a healthy amount it, with that vodka, like four dashes. And uh, just put on ice, stir, put in a glass, lemon twist, and I think you'll be fine. Um but don't tell anyone I recommended that drink. <laughs> uh, okay, you want to take that one off the record? Then? Yeah, no, 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 no. Keep it, keep it on the record. But if there are brave souls who are willing to make this drink, I want to, I want to hear about it. Yeah, the the mixology thing is a little bit silly. It's uh, it's uh, something that I took up during quarantine, and it's the it's it's detail work, and it makes me feel like I've accomplished something. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a great quarantine. That's a great quarantine skill to to pick up for sure. Well, well, you know, some people have been have been benefiting from it, but also I've been hurting people. So Kim, Kim has Kim has Kim has <laughs> You've been had, hurting people. Have you been hurting people? I I feel like I've given you some drinks that maybe you didn't enjoy. Oh well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's true. so it's a, it's most a, of the time it's nice to be the taste tester. Yeah, most of the time. Uh, but yeah yeah well well, i i'm just i'm just thinking that once you know vaccines are available and it's safe to get together with friends and stuff just like my 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 social capital is gonna just increase exponentially i'm gonna be surrounded by friends (laughs) i'm just i'm gonna have more friends than i'll know what to do with You know, Hisham, he's a fine dude, but his drinks are so good. You know, he's a fine guy. He's a fine conversation, but the drinks are so good. That's what I'm working towards. It's a beautiful dream. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful dream. Yeah, it's a fine aspiration. It's it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, I think that's a really nice note to um end on totally and i i want to thank you hisham and kim for taking the time to talk absolutely thank you for thank you for having us jeff that was yeah it was a pleasure yeah post 65 has music on bandcamp and all the other streaming services you can find them by spelling out the words post 65 and you can follow them on all the social media apps. Thanks for listening, and take care, and I will speak to you again soon.